online now. And it's Mark <coughs> chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. You hear me? Fantastic. Good morning, everybody. So, first off, I want to ask you a question using this microphone, please, Fion. Is this green? Green one. So, um, first slide. What makes you angry? I'm going to come round, and if putting a microphone into your face makes you angry, you can just say that. But Tom's gone straight out there. Thank you. Annoying products. Annoying products? Like, when you get into a supermarket, they tell you, do you want to buy this? Because it really annoys me. Okay, good. Specific. When cyclists don't use the cycling path. Oh, I could say when drivers use too much of the side of the road. Unsolicited <laughs> phone calls. Unsolicited phone calls over here. People who park in disabled parking spaces when they're not oh. disabled. Or parent and toddler ones. When I see little children being killed all over the world for no reason other than they're, they're, they're vulnerable. Good. Aid. DIY. <laughs> Gone from the profound to <laughs> Steve. The England cricket team. Yeah, yeah. The less we talk about them, the better. But the England rugby team, on the other hand, do not make me angry. Anyone around here? When I'm running out of time to do certain jobs. Oh, yes, time. Uh, anybody else over there? I should have got a young person to do this for me. People who don't accept difference. Oh, good. So, oh, I'm going to feedback if I speak there. So, there's like lots of things make people angry, but I'm going to tell you a story. I'm a bit out of breath now, that was silly. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a story about a time when I got really angry. And so, a few years ago, while I was still at university, um, I was fortunate enough to go on a mission trip to a village, um, well, <laughs> to a village, to India. It's a country, it's not called a village. Um, and we flew to a city called Bangalore, which is in the south of the country. And the plan for the trip was to go and see different missions across uh, the city. Some were Christian, um, some weren't. And uh, the plan was to see how Christian mission, or just mission in general, worked in cultures that were completely different to the one that I'd grown up in. One of the places we went to was a village, this is where the village comes in, called Dudugabi. It's in the, just north of uh, Bangalore. And on the outskirts of this village is a place uh, called Home of Hope. 
There's the, uh, the picture of it. I, thought I didn't feel brave enough to move the pants off of the, uh, the welcome <laughs> in the top of the picture. I didn't know whose they were. Um, but the name felt slightly ironic to me because I've never been to a place where there appeared to be less hope in my entire life. This place is run by a man called T. Raja, and his mission since 1997 has been to collect homeless people from around um, the streets of Bangalore and bring them to Home of Hope. In some cases, he and his team is able to restore the person, deal with their wounds, um, bring them back to health, give them training, help them find work, and send them back on their way. But in most cases, uh, they just provide dignity and peace as people live out their final moments. They mop their brow, they comfort them, grant them their dying wishes. Simple things like a fresh apple, a hot home-cooked meal, or just to die in peace. When we arrived, we were taken to a small office to meet T. Raja, and uh, it was a tiny, tiny, I can't explain the claustrophobic feeling of this office. There was about six of us who went, plus him, sat on lawn chairs around this tiny desk in this hot, sweltering, it was horrible. But we learn about um, how he set up um, Home of Hope, how it came into being that he saw some people on the street and his heart was just filled and he decided to go out and start this, um, this home. We found out how it was funded, that because India is a, a Hindu country, they get no funding from the government whatsoever. How they struggle, how he hasn't seen his family for about six months because he spends all his time with these people and goes home every six months just to see his family and then comes back. After we spent quite a long time with T. Raja, we went and uh, met some of the women and their children because they, they give birth while they're there as well. And I remember the smiles of those women, the children fighting to get in front of my camera. If you ever see it on the TV, you, can, you see everyone trying to get in front of the, cam like the camera. It's just like that in, <laughs> in real life. I was mobbed because I had a camera. So I walked around, I took photos, I ate with them, laughed with them, and all the while I felt this knot in my stomach, this knot of injustice about the place. Now the plot of land that the Home of Hope is built on is no bigger than this worship area, these four walls. They have a small building for offices, kitchens, dormitories, and the courtyard area is where everybody mostly stays. They sit, whiling away the hours under the hot Indian sun. It was built for about 80 people, but has, when I was there, nearly 200. It was dirty, it smelt, I hated that place, but I didn't really want to leave. I wanted to know how I could help, what I could do, and I found that they had a list of the things that they required, and they were simple things like rice, toothpaste, lentils, soap, inexpensive things. But because we'd come on a minibus without knowing these things first, we were in the middle of nowhere, I had none of these things on me. I was so angry and so frustrated. I thought, why didn't I have this list before I came? That evening, 
rather perversely, we went to a sports facility. It's beautiful, modern building. The, the weirdness of India that you can go somewhere so run down and beautiful just 10 minutes away. And uh, the plan was just to sit, like, relax, throw some balls around, just have a nice time. But I couldn't really enjoy myself. And I remember finding a football and just kicking it over and over again at a wall um, just in anger. And I kicked it and kicked it and I, to the point where I couldn't walk anymore. And the muscles in my legs just couldn't <laughs> physically kick anymore. I remember speaking to Laura that evening and moaning that I couldn't walk or put my shoes on anymore. Have you ever seen someone or something that's ever made you feel like that, that anger in your stomach, in the pit of you? And the reason I'm telling you about my trip to India is because I think it helps explain one of the bits of the Bible passage we've just read. I'm going to read it out to you again to see if you can hear what it was. So it says, A leper came on his knees to Jesus and begged him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. So that's fine. That's standard, easy to understand. But then Jesus, in the Bible reading that Andrew read out, not on the screen, Jesus gets indignant. Or another word for that is, Jesus got angry. And that's a bit weird to hear that Jesus gets angry, because all the time I grow up, you hear that Jesus is lovely, Jesus loves all the children. Jesus loves the lambs. But Jesus doesn't get angry very often, apart from when Fion tells you he was in the, in the temple. <laughs> it's her favorite story. And, uh, and that's the only time you really hear about it. But this, so it's a bit weird that, it gets, that he gets angry. But it isn't the same sort of anger that you feel towards your brothers or sisters or friends or parents or work colleagues. This is a very special type of anger. Now, I'm going to do, talk a little bit about complicated Greek. So, so this story was originally written in another language called Greek. And uh, the word they used for angry is this. I'm not going to try and say it, but we're all going to try and say it all together. Can you all read it at the back? That's how it sounds in my head. <laughs> so I think it goes, splagchenizomai, may, my... I don't speak Greek at all. But that means, literally, to turn over the bowels. (laughs) So that feeling you get when you're so angry and so frustrated that your stomach is clenching and you're... This is the sort of anger that Jesus had. Jesus got angry because he loved the man with leprosy. And he hated seeing someone that he loved suffering with such a terrible disease. Now, leprosy is so terrible because it it ruins everything. It can ruin your hands, your face, your eyes, your skin, your ability to breathe. It takes away your ability to feel pain, which some days sounds like it would be quite a nice thing living pain free but it's not so nice when you you don't realize that you're walking around so much that you cause blisters in your feet or you cut yourself on like your elbow and you just have no idea and it leads to inflammation and infections and eventually amputations now leprosy was absolutely feared they thought you could just catch it if you touched the person or were anywhere near them So they made the people who they thought had leprosy 
go out into the countryside, live in communes on their own. They had total separation from society. But they weren't just um, separated from other people, they were also separated from religion. They would would not have been able to give the same sort of sacrifices as everyone else or participate in the same ceremonies or services as everybody else. In fact, the Jewish law actually insisted that people who had leprosy had to warn other people from getting too close by saying, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine having to walk around and every time you came near somebody, you said to say, unclean. I say it like that because I imagine it's like a medieval peasant saying, unclean. <laughs> it's horrible. It was forbidden that anybody, anybody should touch them. Imagine living in a world completely devoid of physical human contact. It's no wonder that the beggar was on his knees. So the leper asks Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now Jesus doesn't just say, go on then. He says, I am willing. But more than that, he reaches out and touches the leper as well which is amazing. (laughs) This miracle cost Jesus, though. He paid for his compassion. It says at the end of the passage uh, that Andrew read that Jesus warned the leper not to tell anybody other than the priest of his healing. However, we know that the leper spoke freely and spread the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town um, or village but stayed outside in the lonely places. There's something about that that should twig in your head. So Jesus was going wherever he wanted, meeting people, went into villages when he wanted to, and the leper was segregated, separate from people, forced to live outside in the lonely places. Yet Jesus comes, heals him, cleanses him, touches him, and suddenly Jesus is the person who can no longer go into the lonely place, um, go into the villages, and is forced to live and be in the lonely places. And the leper is now back in society, back with his family, back with his friends. It's a complete role reversal. In this story, Jesus takes the place of the leper. He becomes the leper. <laughs> In verse 38, Jesus tells the disciples that he wants to go, if you look at it in your Bibles, that he wants to go to nearby villages to preach, preach. His desire is to spread the good news. Yet, on his way doing this, he meets our leper. And so filled with compassion, so gut-wrenchingly ter- um, touched, he changes his plans. He gives up his freedom and his desires trading places with him. You see, in this instance, compassion costed him. Now the word compassion is only found 12 times in the New Testament. Nine of those occurrences are attributable um, to Jesus. I'm just going to talk about four of them. One we've heard about, uh, which is where Jesus has compassion on the leper, cleanses him and reaches out to him. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, The Samaritan had compassion on the beaten up and unconscious Jew on the side of the road. And it costed the Samaritan in cold, hard cash as he paid for the Jew's care at great expense. In the story of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had compassion on the crowds 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he's changed his plans to, so he could teach them. In the story of Jesus raising the widow's son, the heart of Jesus goes out to the widow who lost her, her boy. So he touches the dead body, breaking purity laws to raise the boy to life. In all these cases, Jesus' compassion, when Jesus felt compassion, he took or encouraged action. Now, when I was a youth worker in Bournemouth, um, some of the young people I worked with were out of nowhere, I didn't teach them particularly well, but they out of nowhere felt a massive amount of compassion for the homeless people um, in the town. Now, I say they were filled with compassion rather than they just felt bad about it or they just noticed it because they were stirred up, they were restless, they were angry, and they did something about it. So they got together, they made a plan, and as a result of that plan, they brought a job lot of baked potatoes. Well, unbaked, you can't buy baked potatoes. They just brought potatoes and then baked them. They brought coffee and polystyrene cups and decided that every Sunday morning they would wake up early, which is not an easy thing for anybody to do, let alone young people. So they got up, they cooked their potatoes, wrapped them in foil, boiled the kettles, filled up big flasks, and got in my car as we drove into Bournemouth. And they would walk around the town centre giving potatoes out to people not met, not all of them really understood why we were giving out hot potatoes for breakfast I'm not really sure either I think it's because it's easier than giving out cereal but it was amazing to watch the, the compassion of these guys just stir them into action because all the stories we've heard today Jesus took or encouraged action and this is his nature to act Act in love and not count the cost. In Jesus, love and action are freely given. And in the end, it cost him everything. As he laid down his life in the ultimate act of compassion. Compassion literally means to suffer with or to share the burden of the other person. Jesus, in his perfect example, came and suffered with us and suffered in place of us. So what do you feel compassion for? Or who do you feel compassion for? If it's young people, how do you spend time reaching out to them? If it's older members of our community, what are you doing for them? If it's the poor, how are you spending your money? If it's your neighbours, how do you show them hospitality? If it's the hungry, how are you feeding them? If it's those with relationship issues, how are you listening? In all of these, compassion should be costing you. Costing you your time, your money, your comfort, your pride, your image, your relationships, your life. For those of you who've lived this life of compassion and those of you just starting out, how do we stay healthy? Because a church is full of burnt out people who've given everything for a very long time. There's this thing called compassion fatigue, and it sounds a bit complicated, but it's really simple. It basically means the more you see of things, the less it affects you. 
So the more you watch the news filled with its stories of wars and famines and a new atrocities here and a new atrocity there, the less it affects you, the less it stirs you up. The more you see Oxfam ad- adverts and Red Cross adverts and Save the Children adverts and it goes on and on, the less it affects you. The more comic relief you see, the sports relief, children in need, text Santa, the less it affects you. I have a confession, we tend to go either change the channel or make a cup of tea during the appeal parts because after a while you just can't see or watch it anymore. It's just, it's tiring, it wears you out. So how do we stay healthy? How do we live in a world where we're completely bombarded by images and stories, yet where we're called to be compassionate? Um, I said in the first service, I'm not really a massive fan of the phrase WWJD, um, which was, it was a bit of a craze when I was a 16-year-old Christian. <laughs> oh, just 16-year-old. And uh, it was like a little fabric bracelet, and it, you put it around your wrist, and it had WWJD on it, and it was really great. It was a cool way to tell all your friends that you were a Christian. Yeah! Woohoo! And it was supposed to help you remember, what would Jesus do in that situation? And it was great. Except I don't know what Jesus would do in a situation, because I'm not a first-century Jewish man, and I have no idea what he would have done. But it serves as a helpful reminder that Jesus probably wouldn't walk past homeless people. He probably wouldn't switch the channel when the appeal part comes on. And he wouldn't put his plans and his dreams, his hopes, his desires above those of another person. So how can we battle this compassion fatigue, stay compassionate for other people? Um, Well, I have stolen some uh, three points from um, an American nurse's website because they have done some thinking about this. Uh, So the first one is to care for others. You have to care first for yourself. Uh, So you need to eat well, sleep, relax, exercise. Not that exercise is particularly relaxing sometimes. (laughs) But you catch my drift. And it's really important not to burn out, to look after ourselves It's better to do a little for a long time than a lot in a week and never do anything again. Secondly, share the caring. And that means talk to people, share your burdens, talk to God, pray, talk in your home groups, your friendship circles, keep a journal. Um, This one said blog. I wasn't going to say blog in uh, the nine o'clock service because I didn't think I'd have the patience to try and explain what a blog was. Um, but basically share it. Bottling up your feelings and stresses just do us harm. And finally, look for signs of hope. Celebrate the small miracles every day. And when a bad situation happens, think of just one good thing out of that or learn the lessons from those things. I'm just going to pray for us and then Steve's going to come and uh, explain what we're going to do next. Great. So dear Lord, We thank you for this story of where you care for people and how it reminds us that you care for us and that we should care for other people too. And as we spend time thinking about this story, I pray that you'll send your spirit to guide our thinking. Amen. to to what Ben's shared with us just now. And we're going to do it in a different way. So around the church are various uh, places where you can engage with the story in different ways.
Some of it's uh, based around hands because it's been mentioned. Those that have leprosy, one of the first places they lose their feeling is in their hands. So a lot of it's based around hands and thinking about that. Some of them we've come up with, some of them are from the leprosy mission from their website. So I'll go around, I'll start here. There's candle prayers here. So there's an opportunity to, to write a prayer in chalk on some black paper, light a candle to bring, signify bring the light into that situation that you've prayed for. There's going to be a meditation on the screen. So you may want to come up here to do that. You may want to stay where you are to, to engage with that one. There's a relaxation area with some um, words of affirmation to, to read down at the front here. In the corner there, the two small tables, there's some balloon prayers and some different versions of the story that you can read and some wandering questions. Uh, the next table along, there's letter writing. So Ben talked about the I can't say the word, but the turning over your bowels, the indignancy, the anger. There are issues that you may be feeling that about. There's an opportunity to write a letter just to express what you're feeling. I can't remember what's on that back one, Laura. Is that the hand prayers? Hand prayers. So an opportunity to write prayers on a hand and, and stick them on a, a poster, I think, or something like that. At the very back, there's some finger painting. Ursula is well involved in that finger painting. <laughs> and there's a, there's a picture that, that we can create with the finger painting. And then finally, at the far back, there's a, a, a space to look at healing. There's um, both an oil, healing oil, and some herbs and, and things that just to encourage you to think about healing in different ways. We're going to be playing some music over the time. We've probably about 15, 20 minutes. And then I'll call you all back together, and we're going to pray together to finish off the service. So if you want to, to get up and move around, that will be fabulous. And please, just use this time to respond to some of the things that Ben's shared with us this morning. And I'll go and put the music on. <laughs> 